Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? It's good to be in church, isn't it? Good to worship together. Uh, just thankful and grateful for the Lord's presence in our lives. Uh, those who are in the worship center and those who are watching on, um, online, uh, welcome. Uh, we're glad you're here. In fact, these, you know, these days I'm, I'm pretty happy to be anywhere, to tell you the truth. And thank God for the fact that every day is a gift. Uh, and, and I'm even able to talk again uh, and thank the Lord God Almighty for that. Praise God. Well, I've been thinking about, uh, praying about what uh, I would preach this morning. But I, I want to start with this. Uh, every person in this room, every person watching online, the, um, the 300 or the 275,000 people who live in Lincoln, the 350 plus million who live in the United States, the 7 billion people on the face of the earth, every person is valuable and precious to God. Every person. No one is excluded from that. Aren't you glad? I'm sure glad I wasn't excluded. I'm sure glad God didn't set me off to the side and say, everybody else is okay. Um, listen, God doesn't exclude anyone. Every person is valuable and precious to God. So look at the person next to you and tell them you are valuable and precious to God. So that means husbands and wives are having to say that to each other. Honey, you are valuable and precious, precious to God. Did you say it back to me? You did, didn't you? That's so awesome. Every person. Now, furthermore, these 270,000 people that live in Lincoln, they're not all in church somewhere today in Lincoln. These 350 million people who live in the country, they're not all in church this morning. It would be great if they would be, right? The 7 billion people that live on the face of the earth, they're not all in church this morning. So the work of Jesus must continue whether we're social distancing or what, right? The work of God through the people his people called the church must continue. We've got to make sure of that. There's a, there are a couple of passages of Scripture that, that I've been uh, hanging out in uh, for the last several months. And one that I, that I want to bring to you this morning is found in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Uh, the other one is Paul's writing... Uh, Philippians chapter 3, uh, beginning, I think, at verse 7, where Paul talks about, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. He had given up everything to know Christ. And he says, I want to know Christ. But this passage this morning, uh, Peter is talking to us 
about seven characteristics that God uh, is, is wanting us to possess in our lives as Christians. And one of them is godliness. And we'll read about that in a few minutes. Godliness is not listed as the first characteristic. And I don't think that Peter put them in any particular order. But I think that if we're going to be all that God wants us to be, we've got to first start with godliness. Because everything else flows from that. If we're going to love people the way that Jesus loves people, it's got to flow from a heart of godliness. A transformed heart. Because that's where it all begins. So let's read this. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. These are powerful words. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He's given us everything we need. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you and me from being ineffective in our, and unproductive in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I've, I'm building a sermon series around this uh, idea of breaking through, breaking through to effectiveness and productivity for the Christian. Because I believe with all my heart that we as the people of God need to experience a breakthrough. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ today needs to experience a breakthrough. And we need to focus in our relationship with Jesus on effectiveness and productivity. People all around us need Jesus. Just like we once needed him. And we'll get to that in a few minutes. But we need to do everything we can by God's power and spirit poured out upon us to possess each of these seven qualities in increasing measure so that we might be uh, effective and productive. Something to get, our, to get our heads around, if you will. I believe that if godliness is your passion, people will be your mission. 
If godliness is your passion, people will be our mission. For you can't have a passion for God and not have a passion for people. You cannot. You cannot be in close relationship with Jesus and be a person of prayer and a person of the word, a person seeking after God. You can't be a person in in passionate love and, and commitment to Jesus, to the heavenly Father, and not be passionate about people who are lost. And you know, we get the church, we get all caught up in so many different things that have very little, if anything, to do with the commission that God has given us to carry out. And that's a trick, that's a tool of the devil to get our our focus all out of whack, right? We should never forget the reason that we exist is to be the followers of Jesus as Christians and to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. If godliness is your passion, the people will be your mission. It's the way Jesus lived his life. It's the example that he set for us, and it's the way we're supposed to live our lives. We are on this planet for a reason. As Christians, as God's people, we're on this planet for a reason, to connect people with God. That's a reason for our existence. Well, and to grow in our faith as well, to be the followers of Jesus, but we're here to connect people with God. And we, we, know, we understand that the Christian faith has always been about relationships. That's why this social distancing thing has been so hard for us. It's why it's been so hard for the church. We're not used to this. We're not used, we weren't created for this. Right? We are created for relationship. But we're walking through this. But what, it's like whatever, anything else we've ever walked through. God doesn't make us walk through it alone. Right? God, we're built for relationship. You know, you know you're in trouble when the safest place in the church is enclosed like this. The safest place, Dane, is the drummer's cage. All that plexiglass and stuff, right? We're not used to wearing masks, but I got a good one I brought with me. You'll like this. Oh, yeah? You like that? Yeah, you think it stands for Nebraska. It stands for Nazarene. Hey, where it's Saturday. Who said that? You're going to be sorry you said that. Okay, they'll make him come over there. <laughs> We're not used to this. You know, some of us are handshakers, and some of us are huggers, and, and some of us, you know, we, we, we just like to peck each other on the cheek and whatnot, and, and Christian love, and, and <laughs> this. But you know what? 
God is God of the church, and Jesus is Lord of the church, whether we're in COVID-19 or not. And the, what, what's exciting to me is that our pastors have become so creative and have worked so hard to continue to get the message of full salvation out to people. We're about relationships. Because Jesus is about relationship. And building effective relationships with others is vital. It's a vital quality of effective Christians. Jesus made people his mission. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. That was his mission. Jesus came to seek and save what was lost, and he said in Matthew 9 and 13, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. For I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, I've been doing this a long time. I'm getting to where I don't like to express exactly how long I have been doing it. But I've been doing this for a long time. It's sad to me that a lot of, a lot of Christians have ideas that some folks should go do some kind of preparation uh, and, and somehow go and get themselves put together just a little bit before they even start coming to church. I've actually heard people say that. I've actually had people say that to my face. And I wanted to tell you what I thought about that. I want to tell you what I still think about that. People who say that kind of stuff to me make me want to punch them right in the mouth. In a Christian sort of way. <laughs> Don't tell me you haven't felt like that. I'm not the only one, right? Getting you, buddy. You guys all right? Hey, how you doing, Rich? Good? Good to see you. It's not the healthy the doctor those people don't need to go jump through somebody's hoops before they come to this church or any other church that's why they come to church is so that they can get get connected to God some way somehow and our job is to show them the love of Jesus which you guys do so well we need to do that continually right Jesus made people his mission. Matthew 9 and 36, it says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Do you know much about sheep? I don't either, so let's move on. <laughs> Should have done a little more reading on that one. I'm thinking right now, right here. Yeah. I've heard they're stubborn and I've heard they're dumb. I've only heard that. I've not experienced that. 
They need a leader. The sheep need a shepherd. When Jesus saw the crowds, had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Do you know any harassed and helpless people? Maybe, maybe you're feeling harassed and helpless. There's a good shepherd who knows how to call you by name and bring you to himself. And he has enough compassion to go around. What's our motivation for acting to help others? What moves us? What's our motivation for doing what we do as the body of Christ? I think, listen, I think that sometimes we as the body of Christ, we Christians need to take a walk down memory lane. We need to remember where Jesus brought us from to where we are today. None of us were born Christians. We were born sinners. All of us were born, every person born on the face of this planet, seven billion, however many, were born into sin. We weren't born Christians. We need to remember where Jesus brought us from to where we are today, and we need to remember that we were once just as lost as, we're, as the people we're trying to reach today. But somebody showed me, somebody showed my family the love and the compassion and the mercy of Jesus. Somebody, some church, a church was Jesus to my family. And that's why I'm in the church today because God used them to influence my life for Christ. And I knelt at a place of prayer and asked God to come into my heart to forgive me of my sin and come into my heart. It's because somebody loved me to Jesus and had compassion. They were, they were moved. We need to remember that we were once just as lost as people we are now trying to reach. Too many. Too. I'm trying to find the right way to say this. Too many people look down their spiritual noses at people when we should be looking at them with the love and compassion of Jesus. See people the way Jesus sees people. When he saw the people, he was moved with compassion. And I believe that how we see people, how we as Christians, and how the church sees people, will make or break us as a body of believers. If we see people in condescending ways, we've got to ask God to take that away from us. If we look down our noses at 
people because of their station in life or their social status. Jesus doesn't see any of that. If we see people in condescending ways, we need to ask God to change that in us. In fact, we might even need to ask God to forgive us for that. Do you want to make people your mission? Don't hang out with church people all the time. Think about that one for a minute. Well, hanging out with each other all the time, right? That's okay. We need to do that from time to time. But all the time? Couldn't we hang around some unchurched people, some sinner people, and influence them for Jesus? Couldn't we do that? And aren't we supposed to do that? I think we are. We need to intentionally build bridges of friendship to unchurched people. That's where that relationship thing comes in. We, we need to be an example to the unchurched, to the unsaved person of the transforming power of God. We need to live a life such that would make people think that, you know what, there's something different about him. There's something different about her, not in a peculiar sort of way, but in a way, a God-honoring sort of way that makes them say, I would want something like that in my life. Do you want to make people your mission? See people with the compassion of Jesus. If you want to see people or make people your mission, stop being so judgmental. You, and, and you may not be judgmental. But just in case you are, just stop. <laughs> That's not our job. Our job is to love on people. Now, no matter where they are. I think that's part of the problem in our world these days. We don't see people like Jesus sees people. We see color. Jesus doesn't see color. We see social status. Jesus doesn't see social status. Jesus doesn't care what your zip code is. Jesus doesn't care what your bank balance is. Jesus just sees people with compassion. And I think that we as the people of God, the church, we need to help people take steps toward God, not take steps away from God. I think we may peak people our mission by being salt and light. Salt to the world that desperately needs flavor and preservation, and light to a world that's groping around in darkness. We need to be salt and light. We need to be that flavor to our world. 
We don't need to be artificial salt. Have you ever tried that stuff, by the way? I want you to hang on with me for a minute, for the story has a meaning. I was 21 when I started pastoring. I was very thin back then, like 120 pounds thin. You think I look good now. <laughs> you should have seen me weigh 120 pounds. I love salt, salted everything. I salted everything before I tasted anything. Salted dill pickles. I would lick saltine crackers and salt them again. It was a problem. One day, mother-in-law was visiting, loved my mother-in-law, came home for lunch and sat down. I reached for the salt shaker and I did my deal. And I tasted my food. And I nearly, I nearly spit it out. I said, Roxana, did you put fake salt in my salt shaker? You put an artificial Mrs. Dash stuff in my salt shaker? Well, no, honey, I didn't. The mother-in-law did. I found out the mother-in-law did. What do you say to your mother-in-law when she puts artificial salt in your salt shaker? Do you say like, hey, hey mom, um, this is like going to be your last visit if this ever happens again. I'm, I want the real thing. I want the real salt. Now, I'm not the saltaholic that I used to be because things have happened in the past that have taken me away from that. But I want to tell you what, I think our world is sick and tired of artificial salt in the lives of Christians. I think our world is sick and tired of us being artificial and they need the real thing they need people who are salt and light to the world and that's the job of the church of jesus people be salt and light you are the salt of the earth but if the salt this so proves my point about fake salt if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It can't. It's good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Matthew 5 and 14, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp, put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do you want to make people your mission? Be salt. Be the real article, not the artificial. Be light. Be a bright light that shines people in the direction of Jesus. Our driving force.
is people. We need to step out of our comfort zones and build friendships with the unchurched. That's not always easy. But we need to step out and do that. We need to ask God to give us a sense of urgency about what we've been called to do. If for any reason we've lost our sense of urgency, we need to ask God to give us a sense of urgency about what we're called to do. Be salt and light to people that God brings into your life. I don't want to be ineffective and unproductive in this area. Loving people to Jesus. I want to, don't want the church to be. If godliness is our passion, people will be our mission. So one story, and then we land this plane. Pastoring in Northern California. I don't know. I might have been. I, I can't. I, I was 32, something like that. And we had uh, an evangelist in and, and uh, uh, a singer guy. And I took them over to the city, to San Francisco. Uh, we went on the on the boat out into San Francisco Bay and out to the port of San Francisco, caught a bus. I took them to Pier 39 and we ate lunch at a restaurant there and then uh, got on a cable car and went to the uh, uh, middle of the city, uh, which was the uh, banking center, the business center of the city of San Francisco. This is back in like 1990. 1991, a lot of homeless people in even then. So we did our deal, walked around a little bit downtown in the business center of town, and we were standing back in line waiting for the next cable car to take us back down to the other end, down to Pier 39. We're standing there next to this evangelist. His name was Dr. Dick Strickland. And this homeless man started walking toward us. Just made a beeline. He was making a beeline for us. I said something that ever since the day I said it, whenever I think about it or whenever I tell the story, I get very convicted over it. As he was making his way to us, I said to Dr. Strickland, don't make eye contact with him and he'll go away. Don't make eye contact with him and he'll go away. To which Strickland looked at me and said, well, pastor, 
Why wouldn't I want to make eye contact with him? Why wouldn't I want to talk to him? So as he said that, Strickland stepped toward the man and reached out his hand and said, Hi, my name is Dick. What's yours? The man told him his name. He said, Tell me about yourself. So the man told him that he once had some money, and then because of various things that happened in his life, lost their home, bankruptcy, the whole deal. He lost his family. He's alone on the street, living on the streets in San Francisco. Dick reached into his pocket, and he pulled out some money, and he put it in the guy's hand, and he said, could I pray for you? By this time, we had stepped out of the line. And Dick just put his hand on his shoulder, and he prayed for him. I couldn't say a word. All the way home, that 45-minute boat ride and the car ride and getting ready for church that night, I'm hearing, don't make eye contact with him and he'll go away. And I'm hearing Strickland say, why wouldn't I want to make eye contact with him, Pastor? The Lord, the Holy Spirit, convicted my heart. And it says something like, you of all people, you're the preacher. You're the pastor. And I had to ask God to forgive me for that and to help me see people not as blurs in my vision, as people who just quickly pass by me, but as people who are precious and valuable to God. Don't, I'm sure there aren't anyone, there's not anyone here who sees people that way. But don't if you are tempted to. Don't make eye contact with him and he'll go away. Lord, help me. We need to make people our mission. Would you stand with me, please? Bow your heads with me just for a moment. Before Pastor Brian and the team sing. Father, you, um, you know our hearts, you know our needs, you know our thoughts. We, we want to offer our praise and thanksgiving to you today for the hope that is ours through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I want to pray, Father, that you will help us to see people the way Jesus sees people. 
red or yellow, black or white, they are precious in your sight. Help us to see people the way you see people. And help us to love people the way you love people. And I thank you, Father, for this word that speaks to our hearts. It reminds us of your call on our lives. And I pray that you would renew our sense of urgency to be all that you would have us be and need us to be in our world today. I thank you for these folks in this worship center, those who are watching online. Pray that your blessings would rest upon them. I pray for the mission and the ministry of this church, that it will be the God-given mission. It will be a God-given ministry. I thank you for Pastor Doug and Laura, and I pray that you would keep your hand upon them. I pray that you will protect them from, from the, uh, the virus and all these other things. But we thank you for his leadership. I thank you for this ministry team, for this pastoral staff. And I pray, Father, that you would give them strength to continue to do what you have called them to do. And may the Spirit of Jesus guide us in everything we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.